Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, coming at you once again. I meant to start it like this because I'm trying to get some work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things, and reinventing the way business is done. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Julia Thank you. Bianco and Chip Beeman. Thank you very much. How'd you go from how'd you go from William to Chip? Um, my mom did not like the name Willie and Will and Billy and Bill, so she gave me the nickname Chip uh, from my uncle Charles, who was in the delivery room when I was born. Uncle Charles. Uncle nice. Charles. He was quote there. unquote uncle. Or is he real? No, no, real uncle. Okay, all right. Just <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Your uncle was in the room. <laughs> with, so I named you after him. <laughs> but what's your middle name, Chip? Uh, Hendrix, as in Jimmy. Yeah, you got Willie Beeman in there. Yeah, you got Willie Beeman. That's, I, I know. I, I, I wanted to. I've been singing it all day. <laughs> My name is Willie. Willie Beeman. Beeman. I keep the ladies. <laughs> um, and the other chuckle you hear is Julia Bianco. What's the story behind your name? <laughs> Pregnant pause. Um, I was actually named after the Beatles song. Oh. Julia. Uh, how uh, relevant that you guys are here. So, Chip's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about the HALP network. Help us understand um, the origin story here, and then I'll ask you a bunch of other nosy questions. Sure. Um, well, uh, it started way back in 2018. Um, so, yeah, uh, Julie and I were working together at a, at a studio in uh, in. Uh, West Hall, uh, West Los Angeles, and part of our job was to hire uh, a lot of freelancers to come in and work for our studio. And we had gotten to become very good friends with all of them. And when we didn't have work, it was kind of hard for us. You know, it was, it was a personal relationship where we were noticing that we really couldn't support, you know, bringing in all of these people all the time. And yeah. we were seeing the hardship that they were going through. And on the other side of things, we have all these clients who keep asking us for, uh, you know, we were a recording studio, but they were asking us for writers. They were asking us for sound designers. You know, they were asking us for uh, what other things were there? Composers. Compos things that we weren't necessarily doing. And, but we, because of the vast amount of people that we knew, we we had access to these people, even though it wasn't part of our core line of business. So at that point, we decided that we were going to maybe make a business out of this. So we separated from the company, <clears throat> uh, uh, created all of these relationships with all of these resources and all of these people who do all of these things for us. And then went back to all of our clients yeah. and said, hey, are you still looking for writers? Are you still looking for, you know, uh, behind the scenes videographers? And and then we just created the business that way. It was great. Anything to add, Julia? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Chip and I worked together for almost nine years before starting the company. So um, I worked for him. Then we worked side by side. And then I worked for him again. Um, and uh, so I think that that was a really good uh good proof enough for us that we could do something yeah. on our own together because we had spent so many years uh 
acting like a married couple in the office. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, office wife. Uh, yeah, exactly. Office what, so, well, along those lines, tell me a little bit about chemistry, because I'm always curious, like, how co-founders come together. And, of course, like, you have some rapport, but then you're like, all right, now we need to be in business together. And that's a whole other ball of wax. So. <laughs> <laughs> we are very opposite. Um. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yeah. I... Um, I think it works really nicely for a working relationship, but we are very much on the opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of um, both design and uh, kind of personality. He's very corporate and um, And clean and... She's very creative. Yes. And dirty. (laughs) Precisely. um, But he he does handle a lot of like the, the contracts and the... Um, business affairs and uh, that is like my nemesis so it's really nice to be able to have someone who doesn't hate (laughs) digging into (laughs) a contract and really you know understanding those things especially because we we help protect our our freelancers and small businesses as well yeah um with those services reviewing those contracts and things and so he, he doesn't mind doing it and and i like to to do the more creative stuff, the more hands-on um, people management and things like that. That's cool. I wouldn't quite say I don't mind doing it. I mean, I do it because I have to do it. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> You would have been a lawyer had you gone the right path in school. Yeah, I did, I did take law classes. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's funny. true. I mean, it's funny you mentioned the marriage metaphor because I, I took a class years ago before I got married. And um, it was about finances. And the instructor referred to each coupling as in every couple there's a nerd and there's a free spirit and especially when it comes to like spending or just managing business right and you may exhibit a little of each other's trait but one is going to be naturally more geared to one profile than the other yeah so um that's cool so in terms of you know now what we're a year and a half later from the you know the launch of the help network yeah um why is it called help well, uh, there was a day. Well, you should probably tell this story. <laughs> because, because this is all. This yes, is all thank you. you. <laughs> um, there was a day uh, we spent uh, about six hours going over names. And because our personalities are so opposite, um, landing on a name was very difficult. Uh, Chip would have called it Beeman and Bianco Enterprises. And she would have called it Powerhouse Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, yeah, the B&B Powerhouse. Yeah. Which sounds battle like a, axe a media. really okay. aggressive <laughs> bed and breakfast. Oh, battle axe, nice. That's aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, yeah. It, we uh, we talked for hours and we wanted to conjure something that was generic enough to say uh, we're nerds. <laughs> but also that it wasn't so focused on one specific thing because we wanted to leave things open to who we're helping and, and what we're doing. Uh, and then we also wanted to kind of have the like collective feeling right, or that, that networking feeling group. Know. Yeah. And so it took a while to land on network um, and help was funny enough for me <laughs> that it gave a little bit of it's like literally life. a play on the word help i mean no, help help is it? yeah so see, help me so lol, LOL speak uh, anytime you see someone like having a really hard time or in memes and stuff like that especially with cats 
uh, you'll see H A L P or O M G H A L P and uh, and gamerspeak. it's yeah gamerspeak lol speak so it, it kind of played into our our community a little bit but not so much that it smacks you in the face. That's very cool. So I, I, I mean I'm also just curious about this idea of a niche within a niche, right? You guys have kind of found a network within a network within a genre of yeah. you know a very specific genre of business I'll, I'll say and entertainment, but um. How do you capture a niche, but still do it at scale, right? You still have to put food on your table, still have to be a business and run all the, the, the different components of it, um, but also is, is, is seemingly a narrow window. How do you balance it out? Well, the short version is that we, we've worked out relationships with all of our vendors and all of our, our resources. So these are people who are, as Julia said, they're small businesses, they're individuals who are themselves trying to struggle to put food on the table and they get no recognition. They get no credit. You know, typically they're the guy who comes in and does a little bit of work on your project, on your massive project. And their names don't even make it into the credit, you know, because I think his name is Eric. Yeah. Eric. Hey, sorry about that. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what's your last name? <laughs> Go ahead. Say, say it out. Go ahead. Yell it out. This is your chance. Beal. Eric Beal. Boom. Right. <laughs> Look him up on LinkedIn. Eric Beal. Um, the second, by the way. <clears throat> So, so we take all of these, these resources and we provide them the opportunity to, we give them, um, social media attention. We give them, uh, legal advice. We give them PR, you know, we, we try and provide them with, you know, business development so that they can get into these larger companies, the Sony's, the Microsoft's, the Activision's, BioWare's, whoever, these game companies that we're currently working with. Right. And give them a name. So. For that, they keep their prices lower. So we pass that savings on to our clients. And that's how we end up, you know, we make up a little bit of a difference in the middle. And that's how we put food on our, you know, food on our table. And we're able to help these guys put food on their table. And the clients are still getting top-notch quality. Yeah. Is it kind of, because I wrote this down as you were talking, but just thinking about the idea of the gig, gig economy and how that's even just changed the way we psychologize Hmm? Psychologize. Psychologize. Yeah. <laughs> I can make it worse too. Um, but the way we think about business, right? And and the sort of the psychology that goes into it and how people are thinking about, you know, brokering different relationships or dividing their time between risk versus opportunity and, and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, did that go into some of the design of the business at all? Yeah. I mean, I think um, one of the main things is that we don't have uh we don't have a current office space right now because we like the idea of working out of like we are right now, our partner studios um, and kind of giving them our business instead of kind of pouring money into the overhead. Uh, that allows us to be a lot more flexible with our clients and take jobs where they're like, I only have $500. Do you want it? Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So that has allowed some flexibility, but I think with, with our, experience working with creatives for so long and and I kind of live in both worlds I'm a creative but I also was a creative producer for a long time right um a lot of those people shouldn't be selling themselves um they're not right. good at it they don't want to be uh they would much rather be doing their work in front of their computer right and we found that we kind of live both worlds of being able to walk the walk and talk the talk but also naturally sell the good people doing the good things 
Um, and I think that that like married well with the gig economy because there's lots of people who enjoy that freelance full time freelance lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I enjoy that. It, <laughs> it is hard to be the both the craftsman and the salesman, right? Yes, and the saleswoman. Um, don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the craftswoman too. Yeah, yes, they, craft people. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> no that, I mean, I mean, that's 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 great. So when you talk about creatives, you know, just for the sake of the audience, can you give some examples of what types of talent you, you're working with? So we work with a lot. Uh, so our background is in voiceover for video games. Um, and we don't like to limit ourselves to saying that's what we work on now, but it is our bread and butter. It's what we've both done for the last 15 plus years. Right. Um, and so we work with a lot of, while we don't represent actors, we work with a lot of actors and talent. We work with um, sound designers, recording engineers, mixers, mixers, composers, uh, writers, um, makeup artists, uh, videographers, <coughs> caterers. Jeez. Uh, yeah. And anyone who you would see on a production set, right. You know, whether it's film or TV, where, whether or not you're here doing a podcast or you're, uh, out, you know, out doing a video game or on a live shoot, you know, all of those people, all those below the line people, those are the people that we quote unquote represent. So if you have, if you've got a, production that you're trying to put together and you're missing a piece right you would give us a call and we would try and help you out uh talk to me a little bit about relationships right because i think with the talent and with all the the myriad uh vendors and, and partners you've mentioned a lot of that is just like relationships right and, it's, and also you mentioned like the bigger companies right especially you know a seeing the resume of the game titles that you guys have worked on collectively and the people who are inside of the network, the titles that they've worked on, you know, talk to me a little bit about relationships and leveraging relationships for the sake of the greater good the mission. Well, I mean, one of the very first things that we said was these people are our friends, right? None, it's not about, you know, necessarily helping a business or, you know, helping another business grow. It's about helping our friends achieve their goals. So, when we were working at this other company and we were talking to all of these other people and we're seeing them struggle, it's a, it's a friendship that we have with these people. That's we're great. watching them hurt as they, you know, they can't put food on the table or they're struggling to go out and get their next job. So that's where that personal relationship comes in. And then on a more global scale, <clears throat> excuse me, on a more global scale, you're, we're talking about our network. It's, it's the people that we bring in to the fold uh, within the help network and the people that we send over to you are all going to be people that we've worked with before. Right. You know, someone who's proven, someone who's got a track record, they're all vetted. So someone comes to us and says, you know, Hey, we want to work with the help network. I, I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I have no idea who you are. I, I don't want to go ahead and, you know, and recommend you to somebody without, hearing a little bit about what you do. Let me see your work. And that kind of takes that onus off of the, the, client. the client. Now, you know, when the client's putting out something on Monster or, you know, any of these uh, websites where they're looking for, for uh, someone to come in and work for them, we're taking on that responsibility. I can say confidently that everybody that we've got in our network right. that we recommend, I know their work or she knows their work or and we have a little like inner circle group called the collective mm. who are, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm an expert in everything. So we do have, uh, we have a composer, we have a sound designer, we have a mixer, you know, these people like, who do you are, know this person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you yeah. worked with this person? Can you vouch for these people? Can we go out and, and go to your contacts and, you know, and that's kind of how it works. Yeah. 
That, and, and that's, I mean, I think that's the epitome of relationships, right? D- just the vetting, sourcing, helping. Um, but the other part of it is saying no, es- especially when yeah. there's like people you do know. And you're like, I've known you 15 years and you suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shout yes. out to Joe. Right? Yeah. Joe? Is, that, is that the name you guys said earlier? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Only <laughs> uh, uh, I can make fun of Eric. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but like, you know, how does, how does the, the, I mean, there is a downside to it, you know, when you sort of are the gatekeeper or the person that has the access to opportunity um, on either side of that fence, right? Um, so how does that, how does that part work? Well, one of the goals um, is to supplement our network with learning opportunities for our network. So we never like to close the door on anyone. Um, we just hope that uh, transferable skills can be learned. And obviously, there are some people. We have a no asshole rule. So there's that. But yeah, otherwise... I was born without one, so I guess, <laughs> I guess I can't be a part of the... Sorry. <laughs> See you later. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we are, are working to uh, educate uh, creatives and also um, small businesses on some of the things that will help them be able to succeed in the jobs that we have. Uh, so if we can't we also will say no to jobs if we can't provide it. So if we've gone through our list of people, we'll keep trying, right. but we can't promise anything because we've gone through our list of people. Well, that's, a, that's 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 a hard thing to do, you know, especially when you're a new company and you're like, "Ooh, that would be so great to do." Yeah. But and like we can figure it out. And, and, and it's funny. Side sidebar. I watched the um, Fire Festival, the Hulu documentary yes. on the plane last yes. week. And I got to thinking, I was like, he was just in this fake it till you make it sort of cyclone. You know, I was like, okay, we'll take this money and put it over here and we'll make up for that later. It was just like, and I'm fine. Like, see, see everybody, we're fine. Um, and then obviously landed himself in jail for six years, right? It, right? So that's that's the extreme. But, you know, you can very easily say yes to too many things. How do you filter through those decisions outside of what you just mentioned? Really, it is just what she mentioned. It's it's not much more than that. It's taking a look. It's really taking a look at what our resources are and can we fill it. And we do our very best. But in the end, sometimes the answer is just no, we can't. You know, and again, as she said, we will we'll continue to try. But we've we've in the last year, we've come up against two or three projects where they've just been very difficult for us to fill. And We've gone back to the client and said, this is not something that we can do. We'll continue trying, but yeah, you know, a lot of times it's when they don't also aren't willing to spend the money on the talent. And, you know, we we have all ranges of talent, but mm-hmm. if you want quality, you have to pay for people. And so there's only so much you can do with with certain budgets. So, you know, we do our best to try and find staff that works within those budgets. But sometimes we just don't have that. And then how do you maintain those relationships, right? Because I think once you say no to an opportunity, it's like, all right, will they come back? Like there's a, you know, it's probably a, a nascent fear that happens of losing any other future opportunities because you couldn't fulfill that. And that, that could be false self-talk, but like how do you navigate through that part of it? I think I'm a little bit, maybe a little bit better at it because I'm the one that's not thinking about money every day. You know, that's his job. And we often check in with each other and say, like, you're also the creative. You're like, we'll find a way. Like, we'll Well, I'm the one that's like, I'm making sure tomorrow happens. You can figure out when the next check is coming. You know, like that's our split. And it it works most of the time until he's super stressed about that stuff. But um, but I think it's important to to let those things go. Um, we had an experience at the old company where 
we knew we had the best guy for the job. The the client really wanted a um, exclusive commitment for this guy. Uh, and they wanted like a year and a half of his time where they got first right of refusal. And as a business person, that just didn't make any sense. That would kill the rest of the business. It just it wasn't yeah. it was easy to say no to. Uh, and they very quickly, you know, that'll looked- get you a bad Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> they very quickly yeah, went, went down the path. Switching syllables. That's all. That's all this is. Eric, no. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I could make the jokes. <laughs> um, but they came back. They came back because they couldn't find anyone better. And we knew that we were confident enough in our people that w- our work holds it up for itself. Yeah. So if if you think you can do it better, faster, cheaper somewhere else, that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, sticking um, to your guns <laughs> regard is like it's. I mean, at least in my side of this conversation, is like it's always a little bit difficult to be like, no, nah, that's not what I, we're not in the business for. That yes, right to compromise, but it's important because then your quality bar stays high. Yeah, um, you mentioned education earlier. Um, one of the things I liked was your SWAT program. Uh, ah, you, you pointed to Chip. It's a, uh, creative. You got creative on the Yeah, uh, that's title. Chip's baby. <laughs> but tell us a little, the one thing I liked about it is that it's almost gamifying the process because especially if you can go pro and, you know, there's some functionality in the system. Um, but tell us a little bit about SWAT and sort of the educational structure that you guys have. So there's so there's SWAT and then there's uh, THNEA, which is the Help Network Entertainment Academy. Yes. So SWAT is... Um, Uh, specialized workshops and actor tactics and basically what we've done is we've gathered about 30 pro voice actors in the industry who are working in film and tv and games and animation and they have joined forces with us under uh we've got some SWAT captains uh, jennifer hale uh sarah amale and uh sissy jones and they all have joined forces with us to kind of raise the bar of writing in video games and in TV and film. So if we've got a game client in the pre-casting stage, before they've actually cast, excuse me, anyone for the the project, um, they've got their script written, but they just haven't heard it and they're just not quite sure whether or not it flows, if the characters are developed well enough, they can call us and these actors will assign a bunch of actors to go out down to their studio or do a, a, a virtual table read kind of online and read through the script for two hours for free. Just give them that service absolutely free and give them feedback on the work that they've done. And what this does is it helps the writers really hear from a professional, not, you know, Joe in accounting, but from a professional <laughs> actor. I knew, was, I knew there was a Joe. There yeah, was, well, uh, Eric in accounting. <laughs> <laughs> This is I'm, all about you today. I just want you to know. Sorry, Eric. I, I didn't know this was going to happen. Um, but this it, this gives those those writers and developers and publishers and, and producers the opportunity to really kind of hear their script being read aloud by a professional actor and really work out the kinks way ahead of the time uh, ahead of time before you get into casting. This additionally helps get people out of their head about what they think of when they think of a particular character. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're thinking, uh, I need to write for this uh, 22-year-old army private, right? As, you know, as the writer, you something comes to your head, something comes to mind when you think of that person. You might think he's, you know, a white gangly guy who just got into the army, he's brand new. 
but why can't it be a Latina female? You know, why can't it be a male Asian? Why can't it be whoever? Yeah. And this, when we bring these actors in, they get the chance to actually hear that character being read by someone who isn't that person. And it gets them thinking, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. Right. Or I thought of this role as being serious, but this actor read it with a little bit of a lilt and funny and, you know, jokey. And, and that actually works even better. So what we're trying to do is really get out in front of these these people, help them with their writing and do it at, at no cost. You know, ultimately, in the end, we hope that you're going to come back yeah, to us. I was going to say, is, I yeah. mean, uh, the, sort of like the drug dealer sample, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, give, a little, <laughs> give a little taste. Like, here, shoot this in your veins yeah. for a minute. Um, and, and, you know, so the repeat business becomes the next title, the next project. What, where, Where's the repetition? Where do you hope they come back to in the, in the cycle? Well, ultimately, in the end, when they're done and they, and we've done the this session with them, they're hopefully going to hear somebody and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, I, I really like that actor. Sure. Or, uh, you know, so can you get us that actor, you know, THN, you know, can you can you get us a recording studio? Can you? And that's where the work comes in. So and then hopefully they'll pass that on to the other producers and the other writers and that they'll go out to other people and say, hey, have you tried this service? And that's where the work will come from. That's great. And then for the, the classes, go ahead. Yeah, the academy um, is uh, also focused on, currently focused on dialogue and, and games, uh, but quickly, hopefully, expanding to some other things. But our goal with the academy is to create a, a space where people can, who have experience already, can learn and transfer their skills into these other kind of future media types. So we felt like when we went off on our own, there's lots of studios out there where they do things that are around games or VR or AR, but they've never really done a game. So being able to kind of educate their staff and making it a place where other game companies can come to record their material and they're well-prepared. Or actors who have never worked in games, but they've worked in film or TV, um, giving them an opportunity to learn how it's different, but you can, but your skill set can transfer. Uh, yeah. An actor is an actor. You should be able to act behind the mic or for a game, but you just may need to know a few steps beforehand. I think it's also like kind of go back to that gig economy analogy, right? Kind of almost long gone are the days of just being a specialist. You know, yes. um, you mentioned even the voice talent. Like, I just want to sit in front of my computer and record. But it wasn't that long ago when we didn't have Pro Tools and recording equipment at home to be able to do a quality, like, studio-style version of whatever needed to be delivered. Um, and you find, like, there maybe it creates a little bit more empathy for the other side. So when you are that voice actor, you go in and, like, you understand what the engineer's doing because you've done it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but talk to me a little bit about, like, those dots connecting within the ecosystem that everybody gets a little bit more skill sets, I guess, uh, well-roundedness. Well, I think empathy is really important. A lot of this was born out of um, the actor strike that happened in the video game industry uh, two, three yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a year-long strike, SAG after strike, for, um, the, uh, for voice actors against the um, interactive agreement. Uh, and a lot of it came from a misunderstanding on both sides of how things work. And Chip and I kind of were in the middle of it just because of where the natures of our positions. And we just spent a lot of time talking to people on both sides 
um, trying to explain like, this is what happens in games. This is what happens in entertainment. This is why these people are mad. This is why these people are mad. And it, it gave us a kind of a reason to educate. And we're hoping that with this, along with um, Game SoundCon, which we can talk about as well, uh, that we can help educate both the game industry and talent and the peripheral talent on how things work so that people can all be better equipped for the future. Right. Actually, when we were started talking about when we started talking about uh, the SWAT program, mm -hmm. it was uh, Sissy Jones and Jennifer and, and uh, Jennifer Hale and, and Sarah Amale, who were very active in the uh, union negotiations. And I was very active in the union negotiations on the other side of the table, but we all remain friends. But it was that conversation. It was like, I, I don't think you quite understand where this is coming from. I don't think you understand where I'm coming from. Let's have a conversation. Right. Let's not just yell at each other. So once we have those conversations. Use a little bit of that right now. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we, we ended up having conversations about, you know, how do we get people to understand what it's like to be on the other side. And it was Jennifer and Tissy and, and, and Sarah, they basically came up and said, you know, why don't we offer a service to the game developers, which SWAT, SWAT, SWAT started in game development. Um, why don't we offer this service? Our actors will get a chance to see the process, what it's like to actually make a game. And those writers and directors will get a chance before casting to work with the actors to see how much effort goes into, you know, being an actor, learning the craft, union talent, union talent the differences and, and getting in there and doing a really, really good job. And let me show you the difference between Eric, the accountant and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, and a pro, uh, Almost like a pro athlete right. getting out there and doing the job. We even like one of the one examples I loved. Um, there's a class coming up, but it was just about the physicality of you know a voice acting, right? Oh, right. And, and it's, I was just thinking about like knowing that the classes are open to anyone, right? And within the network and whatever other criteria you need, but to see an engineer go in there or an aspiring engineer or even establish one and, and learn a little bit more about the physicality, maybe you might need more space in your studio for this particular role. And, um, but I, don't, I guess for starters, can you talk a little bit about the physicality of acting thing? Cause I thought that was pretty fascinating. Um, but also just, I think it speaks to that whole empathy piece of it where people can take a class, whether you're an actor or, you know, uh, in some other part of the business. Yeah, so we have we have only a few pro classes that require uh, having worked in or having some credits in or at least trained in and otherwise everything else is open to anyone. And I don't we haven't had too many people come in just for learning purposes of the environment, but it is definitely one of our goals. And we hope that people do, because I think it's really important um, to see how the room works. Uh, as both an engineer, as a director, as a talent, uh, and just to see how it operates. Um, and then in terms of physicality, um, that's a great class with uh, director Chris Fayella. And he, uh, it's really hard for voice actors, for actors behind the mic, because you have to be restricted uh, 
you, your movement has to be restricted. But there's a lot of opportunities to kind of harness that performance in a small way to still use that physicality. And so that's what he goes into. Um, also, especially in games now and in VR, AR, there's a lot more opportunity for movement. Uh, there's facial capture, there's performance capture. And so the restrictions of just like the voice actor and being in a VO booth is uh, is much less the only thing that happens. Right. So it's starting to blur the lines a little bit between between what you do for film and what you do for TV and what you would do for a video game. So, you know, a while back when we were first doing this kind of thing, you know, years ago, all of the acting came from your face, right? You, you know, a, a film actor or a TV actor has, you know, cameras and catching your movements and your hand movements, and your eye gestures and everything. And everything for a voice actor, all of the emotion, everything comes just through your voice. Like, and you have to be able to express it all in just one way. Get over here. Right, right. Perfect. <laughs> one right. Uh, we find that theater training is actually really ah. relevant. Theater, especially theater in the round for motion capture uh, because the camera can be anywhere. Um, but yeah, theatrical training is really good for uh, being able to pr project mm -hmm. and imagine. That's great. Uh, um, the other side of all this, especially with games, I had a chance to sit down with the CRO of Twitch. I used to work at Machinima, so I've kind of been in and around the gaming industry, but the fandom is wild. Um, even more so, which is probably the biggest surprise for me, was even for some of the voice talent. You know, like a good friend of mine is Lester Spate, um, who uh, has done a, a few different games. Um, another friend of mine is the voice of Kratos in um, oh, yeah. God of War. TC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so it's like, I was like, first of all, when I, when I found that out, I was like, wait, Kratos is black? Like, I was just like, <laughs> no. I mean, not no, but it's like. <laughs> and tiny? Yeah, black and tiny, not like big and Greek. Um, and so, uh, but to go to a Comic-Con or, you know, a PAX or whatever, Wizard World, and, and see, like, these people have, have lines of fans coming to get their autographs. And it's... It, me sort of being a little bit on the outside looking in, I'm like, wait, you know who the person is behind the person behind the person? Like, and that's how deep your fandom goes. Um, how much does that come into play? You know, that concept of fandom and sort of the voice talent relationship with the with an audience or a title um, come into play in, in, in the business that you guys have? You know, that's an interesting question. We, um, I think the most it comes into play is when uh, game companies want to approach certain, certain actors. Uh, it's just a, it's a factor one needs to think about when, when uh, thinking of how much to pay someone and the type of, uh, the type of service you want them to provide. So someone who is, uh, who has a, large Twitter following, and then you want them to tweet about the game may require payment for something like that. Sure, I see. Someone might just be super excited to be on the game and they're going to tweet about it anyway because it's self-promotion. You may not have to pay for it, but it, it that's where it comes into play the most. Um, and we've always said that video games with celebrities don't, I mean, celebrities don't sell games. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a way of getting your game name out there, but very, I, I, I'd love to see the metrics on, a game that was sold more because such a celebrity was well, it's on interesting because it. It, i mean in, on the show and in this, the industry and the business that i work in you know you, you find that a lot like brands want to align with celebrity you know everybody want, or influencers if you want to is a whole other ball of wax but 
very rarely do those things move the needle. Right. Do you find yourself consulting on any other parts of their business in that regard? Like, hey, guys, I think you'd be better off spending that money buying a digital media banner. <laughs> like, no. Okay. No. <laughs> no. We'll, no, like, we'll take the money. <laughs> We do advise on deals, you know, and right. what's smart and what's not smart. But if somebody yeah. wants something, and especially if like a you know a giant marketing department wants something, it's a much more uh, concerted effort and coordinated effort uh, beyond just whatever piece we're doing. Um, but I love to point out, like Enter the Spider Verse, I think is a perfect yeah. example of how celebrity doesn't need to to drive sales. I mean, there's no celebrity in that. Yeah, uh, yeah. and yet that movie should make like, more. I disagree. Incredible. No, 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 yeah, now she make more, but not yeah, yeah, yeah. before. Well, the, what was it? The, the get down was his. Uh... Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. that's not a celebrity. <laughs> you mean he had a movie before? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he worked once. Yes, <laughs> but like that was the best movie ever. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with the entertainment and pop culture editor at Fast Company. On an episode of Fast Company Fridays and Innovation Crush, you guys can go listen to it. But um, we almost had an argument about because he didn't like the movie, uh, and I was like, "What? Are you, are you kidding me? Like, how? How did you know? I, what? No I know. I, I can tell you what the people that don't like the movie don't like the pace. It's really, it's fast. really fast. You pace. have to. Your brain has to keep up with so many things flying at once. Fair. And I totally understand why that might be overwhelming to some people i also do really bad with like anything that's time travel or multiple universes like well if that person's not what's happening next uh, <laughs> but Dimension? how you are too, you're too analytical <laughs> no, it's, it's really so bad. how'd you do with inception <laughs> uh, that, was, that was probably the first time i, was, I just cried and left the movie i, don't, I felt too dumb to i can't like, it's, do it's, this looks great <laughs> um so well acted he's like i just back to the future too that's the only yeah, one that's, even that one i was like you know i was just like i, I so I, had, I did have a chance to interview a guy named Spiros Michalakis, who's a quantum physicist who um, consults with Marvel. So the, helping Ant-Man like envision the, the whatever, the quantum realm and the time travel pieces and all that stuff. And so I got to ask him all my dumb questions. I can't <laughs> Which I think I left dumber. I think I left like, <laughs> dumber after that. Um, uh, Chip, why law? Why, what, was, what was the attraction to law when you first started to get educated? I was, I just, I like uh, order and I like things to be, you know, one thing right in front of the other. I am very analytical. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the idea of just, if you have, if you, if, if you've got a problem, there's a way of solving it. And if there's no way of solving it between the two people, then there's a contract or there's a rule, you know, that it just, you know, I'm, I'm just a person who's just built that way yeah you know and it's it's all it's harder for me to uh just let things go and just let things be she'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> i can i can hear that is accurate yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh julia on the on the creative side where have you all has this always been your mo modus operandi Ooh, i've never used that I phrase like that. out loud <laughs> very well used though. perfect thank you uh i studied recording arts in college uh, i thought i was going to be in the music industry ah. um and it was right when that was changing a lot and yes. our professors would bring in guests that would say don't go into music <laughs> and so uh i famously got rejected from a job at starbucks a week before i got a job at treyarch the call of duty developer and uh, shout out to starbucks for <laughs> setting you on you. the right path yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah i've just been doing uh sound for games ever since i got kind of thrown into the dialogue side 
uh, and always loved it. And when I left uh, Dialogue for straight business development, I was not happy. And so I went back. Did you ever send a diss letter to Howard Schultz? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I mean, one of the things, you know, uh, that I, I think about in your business as well, because you mentioned VR and AR and let's call it XR, right? And, and I think sound design and voice ac acting shifts a little bit when it comes to like 360 degree spatial awareness and where voices come from. And if you're coming up from somebody's left, that requires a different set of acting and tools and, you know, and then they're surrounding that person. Um are you guys keeping your eyes on technology and just the growth of different forms of creation? And and how do you uh, capture that in the help network? Yeah, I mean, that is our, our number one goal is to be uh, at the cutting edge of technology. We That's the beauty of being in games is that there's new technology every single year. There's new requirements. Um, the the kind of shackles get lifted a little bit more each year with and with each generation of console, where the memory restrictions um, are taken off a little bit more, so you can do more with the console. And now, obviously, with cloud gaming, there's a lot more opportunity to do more. Um, it is really cool to be in a space where you see things like virtual cameras on the motion capture stage. Um, and the actors, I think, really enjoy being in an environment where they're pushing boundaries as well. And so we love to prepare people for that and also get prepared for it. Google Stadia. Fascinating anyway. stuff. That's the, it's kind of like, a, it's still kind of a mystery it is, to it most. Is, it is a mystery, but that is, I absolutely think that that's the direction that things are going. Um, and, and as, as well as, as well as AR, um, we were re really lucky to play with the HoloLens a few years oh, nice. ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're super impressed by it. And then most recently I did all the casting for the Westworld Awakening VR experience and got to play it and it is so scary and so awesome and i wasn't really into the vr thing yeah. that much but playing that one i'm like okay no i get it it's it's fun oh, it's, it's, it's great Look, i mean you know i um I had a chance to judge the interactive emmys a couple of weekends ago and a lot of it was exactly that there was one project I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll say it anyway. I think they spent rumored to have spent $20 million on this like 10 minute virtual reality experience. And it was probably one of the most amazing things that I would seen or done. And I've done a lot of like, you know, I've produced projects. I've been involved in them. I've seen a lot, but I was just like, I was, was really it? blown away. How, how does it judging was, work for that? Do you I just go boom? <laughs> <laughs> is, it a, is it a video of the VR experience no, well, or so do you get to play it? In, or, um, yeah, we, we, we got to be, we got to be experiential with it. Um, and so, you know, most of us are industry experts in some way, shape or form. So um, we've seen and done enough and, they give you all the homework pieces, the mm -hmm. write up, the video, and then you get to be hands on with it. And so um, ask all the dumb questions you need to ask. And then um, there's also like a, a pitch portion of it. So then you've got like you, you have a lot of information, um, but just from a visceral, like taking a step back from an industry person and just going like, that was cool. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, but just seeing where all the tools, because they use artificial intelligence inside the, like, it was just, it was crazy. Um, but seeing where technology is being stacked to create, you know, all sorts of new experiences all under the guise of storytelling at the end of the day, that's everything that the help network is contributing to is story experience. 
Right, so. exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about. Um, I know. That's why I'm missing. Yeah, <laughs> no, just... Can we write that down? You get it. Story experience. Um, last but not least, uh, globally, you mentioned that earlier, but I think, you know, customs change, language change, translate, you know, equipment and access change, depending on where you go. Um, how deep does your experience go ar- around the world? Well, we've got clients, you know, that we've worked with or in Japan and Singapore and um, you know, UK, uh, and as we reach out to each one of them and, and they keep introducing us to new people and we keep going to conferences and, and talking to more people, that experience is getting greater and greater and greater. And those experiences are, and the people that we're meeting are, are uh, becoming more vast. Uh, the one thing that is happening is that we're starting to work on other projects that are not just done in English. You know, we're working on some projects that are done in other languages, and that helps us build relationships in those territories. So, do either of you speak any languages? Uh, English. Okay, cool. Yeah, you speak a language. That's yeah, yeah, one language, one language. <laughs> <laughs> but that that is helping us. Uh, you know, we're we're brand new, and and I think that over the course of the next couple of years, that's where we're going to start to grow by offering more services to different people in different areas, and as we branch off into other forms of entertainment outside of video games into TV, into film. I mean, we're working on a South African, uh, we're casting for a South Africa, two South African films right now. So this is just helping us. I can talk like this. Mm. Is that, uh, South African. Wait, hold on. Let me, nope. No. Nope. South, <laughs> South African. No. <clears throat> me, me. no. I, but, you know, I'll come, I'll come back later. <laughs> is that, was that Trevor later. Noah? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was like Trevor Noah. <laughs> Is that what he was doing? Yeah. <laughs> Trevor, no. Oh. <laughs> no, uh, stop. <laughs> uh, no, that's, 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 that's super cool. Um, especially just like that global expansion because, I mean, gaming, but like you said, just going into these other territories of entertainment, that was, that, right. that, which was going to lead me to what's critical mass look like for you guys? Like what, when you, when you have the dream version of what the help network is, what does that look like <laughs> or feel like? You give your version. By the way, this is probably the most giggliest. Um, We're there. Episode no. <laughs> yeah. no, I am. I, um, <laughs> <looking> I, <laughs> we definitely don't. Um, we're not ex- planning on taking over the world. No. Uh, we are two people and we don't uh, necessarily want to have a company of 40 people. Um, we very much like being nimble and small and, and believe boutique. That, and boutique and I believe that it really highly contributes to the value we bring to our clients because of the lack of overhead um, and the bigger you get the more overhead there is so I'm not sure that uh, it would get that much bigger in size of staff but hopefully the network will expand and grow and the, especially the classes right. uh, we hope to offer those in other places as well great yeah I, I don't think that we you know I don't see us in a big building you know with in the middle of downtown LA or anything like that. It's, it's the smaller we are, the better we are. Uh, we're, we can, as Julia said, we're quick, we're nimble. We can get to people. I like the fact that when a client calls, you're not getting a secretary, you're not getting, it's personal. It's very personal. And you know, you lose that once you get to some other version of critical mass. Well, I think that's an important perspective when you have a relational based business and you know, it's not like you have some tool or platform or I'm sure you might have some things you use, but that's not the core of what the business is, right? It's all relationship based. And especially when you're in a creative industry, it's like, 
it's an emotional experience, whether you're emoting on camera or you're, you know, or off camera. Um, so yeah, no, that, that's pretty amazing. One of the things that Julia and I have said is that, <clears throat> you know, in this business, especially in, in the entertainment business, there's that, you know, adage, uh, it's, it's who, you know, and we like to say that we're who, you know, you know, it's, you know, you can call us because we know people who can help you. So that's the idea. That's great. Uh, I said last but not least, but I was lying. The <laughs> show's called Innovation Crush. What um, do you see out in the world that you personally have a crush on? It might be in your industry. It might be a uh, culinary experience. Uh, I saw her yesterday. Get, get. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, my wife. <laughs> you know, my, my wife. My wife. My wife. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, good. Uh, what do I have a crush on? What do you have a question? So we were traveling recently and um, Google Maps had an AR feature. Oh, I, did, I did that. It was last week. Where is it last week? I was in, yeah, I was in Seattle and Vancouver last week and I used it throughout there and it was so cool. And I don't really like having my phone up in front of me. Yeah. So I'm very excited for the future of like putting that in my contacts or whatever. Yeah. But I Now I all think the mothers that... will now know who the tourists are. Yes. <laughs> like, where is Pre that star? Give me that Pre phone. Uh, Precisely. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I had the same experience. I was in, uh, I was in Germany last week and it popped up but because my stupid sprint didn't allow me to like use it I was like <laughs> clicking the button like oh, I want to do it I want to do it so uh, now it have, worked now I have to go really to really really well it really did yeah. yeah like I was in Vancouver not knowing which direction to walk and it like scans you can still see everything and then it's like go this way cool <laughs> all right we're both foodies awesome. yeah. yeah we're big foodies so so, I mean, there are some great restaurants uh, in L.A. that I really love going to and like a lot of cooking. Uh, oh, where's the, I went to there's a one in Santa Monica. It's called um, Nook. Mm. And it's just it's got a great pork chop. It's just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's your crush? That, yeah, that's, that's, that's what, the most innovative pork chop I've ever Good had. food and good restaurants. Plant -based. It was a plant-based yeah. pork chop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's, that's that's about as LA as it could get if that was the case. Um and finally, um Liar. Wait, who's no, no <laughs> finally. Finally. Who I, I took offense to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> who wants to go first? She does. Uh, uh okay. You I guess you got elected vocally. You pointed first. But okay. He, but this is a podcast, so fair enough. He vocalized it first. Um complete this phrase for me. Okay. Innovation to me is pushing boundaries. That is it. Um, I agree with you. I was just, you know, I was giving, I was giving Chip a couple of extra seconds. That didn't help because that was my answer. <laughs> innovation, innovation. Well, I mean, truthfully, innovation is pushing boundaries. It is. It's. It's. You know, taking a look at where you are and seeing how you can change it. And take the parts out that are not working for you any longer, put those aside and kind of restructure and move forward in a, in a more effective and efficient manner. And continually. And continually. <laughs> yes. The, the more you grow and change, the more culture changes, like you have to adapt accordingly. Right. Um, where can people go to find more about the Help Network? See you guys. Check you guys out. Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Cat Jones, 
Instagram, Instagram all all network. of it is the help network. All right. Yeah. All right. So we'll go to Cat Jones Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.